farming looks mighty easy when your plow is a pencil and you're a thousand miles from the cornfield. Dwight Eisenhower. Hi, I'm Tamara Michelle, and this is Real Conversations Podcast, created in Dauphin, Manitoba, Canada. For today's show, I head back to Bead, Manitoba, to meet farmer Marty Voth, and we are back on his farm to find out more about his year, his machinery, and where he's at as of mid-September for harvest season. Thank you to our show sponsors. Bankert Marketing, Dr. Brenna and Three Graces Medispa, Real Security Solutions, Right Side Equipment of Dauphin, Oil Depot of Dauphin, Roofs Furniture and Appliances of Dauphin, Tri Family Health Beauty and Fine Gifts of the Paw, Ramsey's Health and Fitness of Dauphin, Cloud Nine Canis Supplies, Fudd's Corner Store, and Hearts to Nature Fine Art Nature Photography. Hey, else. Uh, I always get asked this a lot. Every, every cattle farmer and everyone who does this has a different opinion about it. We have twine which is basically strands of probably polypropylene whatever. It's kind of, this is plastic. You can also get a sizal, which is biodegradable. Um, you wrap it with twine. It's just individual wraps that go around a bale. The other option, if we want to look over here, is what we call net wrap. Um, basically, it's, it's a sheet of very fine woven um, plastic that actually wraps around the entire bale um, on the round side. Um, both have their advantages. Um, yeah, some guys have preferences, some guys don't. As someone that makes hay, I prefer I prefer net wrap. It's faster. It's more money per roll and per bale, but it's also far. It also everything happens a lot faster. So, to me, the twine tie a bale is I'm stopped for about 45 seconds to a minute, depending on how many wraps I want to put on. Okay. Net wrap a bale. I'm stopped for, depending on number of wraps, again, I'm stopped for 22 to 25 seconds. So, so, the, so, so no. my, my question is then, so you do both. So why, yep. do, you, why do you do both then? Well, there, there, there's two answers to that. One, some of my customers prefer twine. That's what they want. Okay, fine. I know, I know how much they're going to buy from me normally on average per year, and so I do it that way. The second thing is, is because my baler can do both, even though I prefer net wrap and I try to do everything with net wrap, there's times when I'm out in the field, I may have issues with that. I may run out late at night when I'm bailing and I have two strips left. Um, I may not have any more net wrap on the baler. So I always carry twine on the baler as well. So if, if I have a problem with one, I just push a button and the other one starts working. It's oh, that easy on this machine. Perfect. So I like both just because it allows me, it, it keeps me in the field. If I have a problem with one, I just push a button and I can keep going. I haven't cleaned it up yet, but I just finished using it today. I'm just reading the combine. Let me see what everything's in here. Okay, so I have a Deer 568 uh, round baler. It's got just over 24,000 bales on it now. Rebuilt it about four or five years ago. I uh, bought it with a broken pickup and everything, completely rebuilt it, went through the baler. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. I've done basically next to nothing to it since then. Um, yeah, so anyway, one of the cool things about it, and one of the reasons I, I bought this baler over my previous, I had the previous model for this prior to it, um, was net wrap. I wanted to have the ability to use net wrap. Um, it makes life easier for shipping. It makes ba bailing faster. Water come, sheds off it better. Uh, I just like it. It works really well for me. Um, but this machine, luckily, 
That's both. Now I haven't had time to clean it. I basically quit, stopped bailing and hopped straight in the combine. So I haven't cleaned it yet. But yeah, so basically it, it has the ability to have twine, actually four balls and the other side has the same, which uh, I think we just talked about. I, I do use some twine. I'm gonna clean that. <laughs> and then- come, The farmer's come, work is never done. If we come around the back here, um, we carry our net wrap roll from the back. It's just a big solid roll that feeds down through the bottom and then up and around into the bale. Okay. That's how it works. So it works completely differently with the twine is fed in from the front actually with a couple of arms. Right. So, yeah, they both work differently. Uh, this is a storage rack for a second one. Obviously, I just have to roll. But, uh, yeah. And what year would this baler be? This baler is a 2007. Okay. This is the first year of production for this. Um, the, the interesting thing about round balers is, although things change as time goes on, um, at least in the, in the John Deere ones, they haven't some significantly changed that much since this baler was made. Basically, even compared to a brand new one with the same options and all that, most things are almost identical. Just the new ones have a few, a few different things, a couple of heavier bearings here. Some of the electrical sensors are a little different. But other than that, the base machine hasn't changed much. So it's very, it's actually a quite a modern high capacity machine. And of course you're able to do any repairs uh, with your background. Right? Absolutely. I Kind of handy. I, <laughs> and I've got oodles of parts for this thing kicking around as well. My big thing, because a lot of my work gets done in the evenings, a lot of it happens on the weekends. If I have a breakdown, I'm done. That's the end of my week. That's the end of my day. Whereas if I have parts on hand, a lot of times for a lot of the routine things that can go wrong, I can still fix it and I can keep going. And so for me, there's a lot of value in being able to be self-sufficient and able to, uh, and able to just keep myself going, to keep the, protect, keep the productivity going. Yeah. Because it's easy to get stopped, it's easy to get delayed. And like, there's a deer dealer just not too far away here, but for some of this other stuff, like that has to, I gotta go to Shoal Lake. That's the next closest dealer for that. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can get stopped and end up running around pretty quick. So, And how much would you say, like, if, if a farmer was interested in getting a baler like this, um, what can they pick one up for, roughly speaking? Uh, this make and model, I've seen sell with about this many bales anywhere from oh, sixteen to 30000 kind of depending. Okay. And it's an, it's an investment, right? Like every piece of farm machinery and how you and maintain that, it make, makes and, a difference. And that's that's a huge thing because it's not it's not quite like owning a car because we actually generate revenue with this stuff, right? I make bales, which I sell for money. Yeah. Obviously, not, not a hard concept. But it's compared to just your, for your average consumer, yeah. All this stuff here is here because it serves a purpose. Um, and it allows me to do something to produce a product. And so even though, yeah, they're all depreciable assets for sure, a lot of this stuff that I have here is mostly added salvage value by the time I buy it. I'm not, this is not a big farm. And so I can only, uh, the budget, the capital budget for equipment and everything is only so high. Hmm. So sometimes I'm buying something that's broken that's maybe a little, if it was okay, it'd be worth quite a bit more money, but uh, it isn't, so I can buy it, put the parts into it, basically my labor's free, mm -hmm. and, uh, and end up with some good products, which is what happened with this machine. But some of the others, no, on the, on the flip side, you gotta, you know, there's only so much good used equipment out there. 
and uh, it all depends on what you on what your what your budget is. You know, I try to. I, I could have the nicest stuff in the world around here, but I could never sell anything to make a profit because my cost of production would just be too high. Right. So I got I got to balance that, and that's uh, that's it's kind of a fine act sometimes. Is you gotta you gotta be thinking about it. You gotta be aware of it, but yet you can't scale yourself so small and limit yourself to such equipment that you can't grow with it as well. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it, it's definitely a it's definitely a challenge. Um, we're out here on your oat field, and uh, can you tell me a little bit about the Massey Ferguson behind you? Uh, this is a 1984 Massey Ferguson 860 uh, standard. Not a hydro, so it's only got the inline six. Uh, high capacity machine in its day. Uh, Massey really did a great job with these. Uh, compared to a modern machine, they're kind of a dinosaur in some ways. There's lots of belts and lots of chains and a lot of things from the cab you still actuate manually like the unloader. You just kind of push down and tension up the belt. Same thing with the separator, engage, disengage, it's a lever. Uh, so it's pretty simple, but yeah, there's lots of bearings, lots of belts, lots of different things like that. Cab's not uh, nearly as comfortable or accessible. There's no buddy seat in there. Even the dog doesn't really have room to be up there with me, much to her dismay. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just it, it's just different. It's from a different time. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. It, it's a good combine. Uh, we just knocked out 20-some acres oats here and not a whole pile of time. Did a fantastic job. Um, yeah, not a, certainly not a, a new machine or anything like that. These are pretty cheap to buy now. Uh, not super cheap to maintain, depending on how they've been treated. This one's been pretty good, so I've been pretty lucky. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a cost-effective machine for... A farm of my size at the moment, anyway. So I guess that's my next question is, um, you know, when you come into, like, the more, I don't want to say modern farmer, farming, but large farmers that can afford the million-dollar equipment, you know, they have they have the capacity to be able to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on their equipment. For, for a farm your size and for the amount of time that you can commit, because you also work full-time, right, outside of Mostly. this. I'm, I'm part-time right now, but, yeah. For the summer? Just, just for harvest. Yeah. yeah. So... That you were talking about budget earlier. That doesn't that doesn't work for a smaller farmer. And I know when I speak to Farmer John as well, he's got a lot of uh, older equipment that he maintains very well. There's still parts available. Um, can you speak to the times? Because like, you you were just saying just briefly earlier, you know, just how uh, things have kind of changed in the last ten years when it comes to machinery. Well, I, I think actually everything even changed a little bit earlier than that. I'd say it was probably about the mid '90s. Up till about the early 2000s, uh, a lot of what we've seen in the terms of the technology of the farm equipment, it, it changed pretty dramatically. And we, we see this every so many years. Just things change. The way we think about things, they change. Um, but the interesting thing is, is now we've got we've got all this m- machinery that we that we developed in the late 80s and early 90s. And remember, there's a run-up time, too, between between R&D and production and something actually coming to market and all that. So a lot of that stuff is still late 80s, early 90s kind of technology. But what we're seeing now is there, there's this window of, of equipment that's good used to higher capacity equipment, higher than this, that... Uh, you know they're they're getting up in hours. They're they require more maintenance, but yet you can still buy that stuff fairly economically 
and run it even as a smaller farmer so it's it's just it's different it's changed but there, there's a whole bubble and a whole window of equipment that i would say is probably fifty thousand dollars or less per machine which on a piece-by-piece -piece basis is still a lot of money but as you slowly kind of start to get up up that scale you can get a lot of productivity and actually a fair even a fair bit of technology on a really limited budget compared to spending half three quarters of a million dollars. Will it do what those do? No. And in terms of the number of acres, in terms of the reliability, in terms of the speed or the precision or whatever, it's not the same. But it can still get you pretty close with with the level of productivity that actually you can get something done in a day. So it's kind of an interesting world in that. Whereas I guess comparatively, if you want to just talk cars, like every, we see, you know, we see those turn over every so many model. Most cars are, what, five model years, something like that. And they turn over. And so, yeah, you know, you're looking back um, a number of years and you're, you're kind of seeing that. It's like, okay, well, you know, right between here and here, they made some really good stuff. It's kind of the same thing in the farm equipment world, but it's just, it is a little different. And it also depends on... You know, maintenance and cost, of course. Every every machine is different. You know, we're in a world right now where everything's online auctions and and everything's just going crazy. And you can't get much. Like, there's limited supply of new new equipment right now. Um, it's hard to get from supplier issues to all sorts of things. So all of a sudden, used equipment is worth a lot more. The newer it is, the more it's worth. But then we see it, especially on some of the emission sides, guys that want a good, reliable tractor buying older ones pre-EGR, pre pre-DEF, uh, pre-DPF, all that stuff, you know. And basically, they're just rebuilding them. They're fixing them up, and they're just running them. And they're saying, well, we can still get all these parts. Yeah, we don't have all, maybe as much creature comforts and everything else, but still getting the job done. Mm -hmm. So there, there's there's a big shift. There's lots of really interesting stuff going on. Use equipment's worth a lot more than it used to be. Uh, thankfully, these old girls from the 80s, well, they're not really still, they, they didn't pick up a whole lot of praise. There's not a whole lot of demand for them. But uh, everything, yeah, it's still it's still up to how it was how it was maintained and how it's looked. Good stuff's always going to draw a premium. It doesn't matter what it is. So just how it goes. So, Marty, um, we were talking a little bit about bailing today, and we've visited um, the combine, and uh, you were doing some taking some oats off the field. Mm -hmm. And so now we're here back at the granary. I'm assuming that's what we call yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're back here at the granary. Basically, I just just before you got here, actually, I just wrapped up. Uh, there is supposed to be some rain coming, so hopefully it stays dry for us here. Um, we haven't had any significant rain in quite a while, so it's. Uh, I think since last time you were here, we haven't even had half an inch like that's okay. how little we've had and that was what six seven weeks ago yes it's yeah, been a yeah. while um so anyway yeah i just finished here we're just here we just finally got the grain in the bin uh we seen the combine and the straw out in the field uh yeah you know the old massey for being an old girl she uh little piece of straw there she actually does okay she uh makes a pretty decent sample um the oats aren't overly heavy this year um just because we didn't have any rain, basically. We didn't have any rain since filling. 
and all that, but uh, it's still pretty good. Surprisingly, I can't believe how much of it's still, there's still a little bit of green in it, but everything's good. It's ready to go. It's hard dough, so it'll store in the bin. I put the aeration and everything in here just in case, okay. and I'll check it uh, every few days. Uh, I have to do all that manually. I don't have the fancy cabling and stuff in the bins. Uh, okay. Yeah, eventually I'll get there. It's yep. kind of one thing at a time. But uh, And you, you yeah, had talked a little bit about um, moisture sampling. So oh, that's yeah. what I was curious about. Okay, well, yeah, we can we can head on over into the old uh, shed here and uh, okay. we can go uh, check out some moisture. But yeah, basically the modern combines, they have... Uh, they have built-in sensor packages, so they're going to tell you roughly what your yield is. You still have to kind of somewhat set that um, or and calibrate it. Uh, they have a moisture, they have moisture meters in them, so you kind of know as you're going up and down the field how you do that. Uh, I think last time I was here, we talked about curing of hay and 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 all that. How do I know when it's ready? Um, even having the onboard moisture meter on the baler itself, which is an option I, I do have in that one. Uh, but in the con in that old Massey combine, it doesn't have any of that stuff, so we got to kind of do that manually. So we actually pull out, I have the old Labtronics 919 uh, tester, which I'm sure anyone watching this has probably seen as a, at some point in their life because they've been around since, I don't even know how old actually, but, okay. and they're still around. They're still used, some of the elevators even still use them. So okay. they're pretty good machines. So yeah, we can probably go in and, and check that out and let's go see because I actually haven't even tested it. I know it's dry because uh, it's been so hot and there's no reason for it to not be dry, but I'm actually kind of curious myself. So maybe we should go check that out. Okay, let's do that. Okay. Okay, so we've got the old uh, Labtronics 919 moisture meter. I couldn't tell you what year this one is. Uh, we were talking about how they, how old they are. The patent number on here says 1955. So wow. to, just to give you a reference, these things have been around forever. Um, the key of it is we got to always calibrate the machine, make sure we zero it out before we use it every time. It's been emptied. I just make sure of that. Calibrator needle, we're good to go. Uh, the next step is we got to weigh a sample. Wait a minute, I, it's just a sample pail. I grab some off the truck as I unload it. And I need 200 grams. good at this you just know there we go Basically, we uh, the the part that comes with it that actually tells us is it, it comes with a book, and it, there's so many grams we have to weigh for each different type of sample. And dry for every different type of crop is different. This is oats, 14% should be our dry. We don't even have a meter reading below five. That's the minimum it gives us. So the second input we need here is temperature. We need to know what that temperature of that grain is. So we'll stick our handy dandy thermometer, which I usually have just uh, one of those laser ones. I usually just use that. But I'm guessing it's gonna be pretty close to ambient. So we're about 19, 20 degrees here. 
give that a minute. But anyway, just roughly, ambient, that would give us about 11.4. 11.4, 11.5, somewhere in that range. So where it dries, we want to store it safely under 14%. We're at 11.5, we're golden. So we use those two pieces of input, meter reading and our temperature, which is <laughs> 19 degrees. And uh, yeah, that basically, we use those two pieces of information. That's what tells us if we're safe to store it. So, so that every, every every type of grain has a different, that, that percentage is different. Um, yeah, and so it's just something we have to keep an eye on to safely store grain. Okay, and would you say that, um, like you said, a lot of the newer equipment comes with this already in the machinery yeah, so the they machinery can read it? Has a lot of it. As again, it's coming in? Again, you still have to kind of check it and calibrate it though, um, but they're usually fairly accurate just right off the get-go as well. Sometimes you got to change a few settings just to, so it knows what crop it is, but yeah. So yeah, the new machinery has all that kind of stuff. The new combines have that all built in. Even the new grain, big grain carts running out there, a lot of them have scales underneath them. They know how many pounds or how many kg of, of grain is, is on them. <laughs> and so they can do all that stuff and figure all that out. When you basically on, on their on their trip home, basically, yeah, they, right? They, they loaded in they the, all the information bin. at their fingertips. For somebody like me, if I want to know how much is there, I got to figure it out on a per hopper basis, roughly knowing what the combine holds, what the truck holds, what the bin holds. I got to figure all that stuff out manually. So it's not that you can't. Farmers have been doing it for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. But uh, just That's a little bit more input. It's <laughs> you got to put a little bit more thought into what into what you're doing to. Uh, to do it so. well and that's probably why uh the older generation farmers and uh, they have so much i want to say like street smarts and good math and right because they're constantly calculating things absolutely and and you kind of just do you know i i'd be sitting in the, in the combine going up and down and if i'm not listening to the radio or something i'm thinking about things and i'm usually probably trying to do the math i'm like okay every truckload is like even on that 20 acre field there every truckload is like 12 bushel an acre I know that because it was just a small field, so it's easy to, to do. But when you can start breaking it down in that in that realm, you can kind of get yourself in the ballpark just just right off the bat, yeah. and then go back and look and check your final result. And like yeah, I, I didn't calculate the bushel weight of that. I know it's light, but uh, it is what it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was just chewing on some wheat. So. <laughs> I know that's the thing that farmers do. Hey, you roll it in your palms. Yeah, and so and this you're... hasn't been. There's been nothing sprayed on here um, since the hopper spray, which was like six five six weeks ago so there's it hasn't been desiccated nothing so okay everything in here is as, as good as it's it gets too? okay mm -hmm. now you said this has been a really challenging year for your wheat field this is gonna be the last stop for us today here yep. on our little adventure um you said the grasshoppers were terrible the grasshoppers have been really terrible around here they uh we started off the season they were really bad last year um lost a few acres in this field just because of that and then they tended they they seem to overwinter in some of the pastures around here in the grasslands even in my hay fields unfortunately um even there i had some some yield loss because of them um the wheat field here and then the other one just across the way uh they've been sprayed three times this year for grasshoppers that's how bad they are um even it's not so bad right here but we've seen on the way in um some of those plants there's just no leaves on them they chewed the leaf even after heading they were just chewing the leaves off everything they could find so thankfully we kind of finally got them at bay and we're kind of toward to the end of the grasshopper season here now um just about ready to harvest so okay and so grasshoppers generally speaking just from my knowledge not all grasshoppers are bad right no there's no there ones. are good grasshoppers yeah. um 
I actually have some some articles that we've been talking about that a lot lo- locally here, and I know some of my neighbors have sent me some articles about just that actually, and I just have not had time to read them yet. I'm okay. just it's just go 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 here this summer. It's yeah. been it's been kind of a crazy year. Everything started late, and then yeah. like this crop still it was only seeded. What are we now, the 13th, 14th today? Yes. Something like that. Yep. So this was only seeded on the 5th and 6th of June, I want to say. So we're just past 90 days here. Okay. So we're not even to 100 days. This is, this is ready to go. Uh, and this is bearded wheat? This is bearded wheat. Um, I want to say Brandon. I'd have to check which variety it actually is. Um I don't remember. I wasn't paying that much of attention, actually. But anyway, and, and I see farmers do this all the time. Explain what you're doing. So I'm just I'm threshing out some heads here. Um, if you want to check to see what it's like or what it looks like, I'll maybe show up to the camera here. Basically, when the combine comes through, it takes it. Right, so we're going to put it through the cylinder on, on that massy rotor, on a rotary combine. And we want to thresh the grain out of the head. So that's pretty much what I'm doing with my hand. Just put it in there and you just kind of mush it around in your hand. Everything's hard. It's not going to come apart. And then we just kind of go back and forth. We got a nice wind today. I don't even have to blow on it, just to kind of separate it. And that's what happens in the cleaning shoe of a, of a combine. It kind of separates the chaff from the grain. Okay. That's what we're doing. I'm kind of just doing it manually, and I'm doing a terrible job of it because, of course, you put me on the spot, Tamara. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're just going to kind of clean it up here and see what we have. Now, this is a hard red spring wheat. Um, that guy's going to get tossed just because he's fluff dry conditions this year here and I'll just show yeah. the camera it's got a really nice red color to it uh, which is indicative of the Canadian Western hard red spring wheat you uh, used for used for milling primarily uh, so for flour flour okay yeah, exactly now there has, this hasn't been desiccated or anything like that um, the field for the most part is fairly clean although there's some volunteer canola popping up here so we'll see I'll probably try to take it off straight we're supposed to get rain for the next couple days Unfortunately, that's going to probably bleach this color out of it. Um, but uh, I got a, some work to do on the combine, so I really can't pull in today and just start at it. As much as it's killing me to not do it as a farmer. And, it's, and I've taken up a little bit of your day too. Uh, so. It's okay. <laughs> that's what happened. Anyway, it's great. Um, I grew up combining wheat. I love wheat. Put it in your mouth and just chew on it. You can actually make it into a bit of a gum. When you kind of break it down, you okay. mush it together. You just chew on that all day. So there's really not, nothing for disease or for head blight out here, thankfully. <laughs> there's my crop inspector doing her job. Um, yeah. And it'll have like a nutty flavor, nice and chewy, right? And for, for dryness, you also, when, you, when, you're, when you're tasting it and chewing it, I, I see farmers do that as well. You mm-hmm. can tell. It should be nice and hard and kind of crunchy. Okay. That's kind of the idea. So. Okay. Yeah, that's the idea of it. Basically, again, we want we want to we want to take it off. We want to we want to test it, see what it tests moisture wise. We want it to right. be wheat's fourteen five. I want to say or some fourteen eight. Okay. Um, I don't memorize numbers like that. I got book to tell me. So yeah, it's, yeah. I'm kind of there's too much stuff to memorize in this industry. I know people will be like, oh, you should know that. Well, <laughs> I'm sure by the time you're like seventy five, you will know it. <laughs> Be ingrained and tattooed on my soul. You only—it's only like that's half your lifetime, right? So, you, oh, you have to double your double your years. Yeah, yeah. I'm, Thirty-seven times two. Yeah. <laughs> if I make it that far, <sighs> one thing at a time. So anyway, for the most part, the heads are uh, 
They're not terrible. It's only an average crop here this year. And does this tell you how many heads are, or how many kernels so, are in a head? Yes, it does. How many actual productive? I can actually count that out. Um, I don't have my crop circle with me. We could count how many heads per acre and then how many usable ones per head. And that can, then we can use, do the math and kind of figure roughly what we expect the yield to be. Um, we're kind of in a poor place in the field right at the moment. So don't think it's a great representation, but eh, uh, we'll see here. Clean this up a little bit. Make sure everything's good. Yeah, those are all good. You want to try a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. It's a little bit hard, so don't... Don't break your teeth. Oh, no, but it is. It's nice. Yeah, once mm -hmm. you, you just, it's, it's hard at first, so just be careful with it. It's kind of like when you buy it like a whole grain bread and it's, it's the stuff that's on the outside. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, like on the top of your loaf. That's what mm -hmm. it's like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice flavor, though. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I guess that's it for today. How many more weeks do you figure, <laughs> so I'm crunching away, uh, will you have left, do you think, for the farming season? Well... Not including maintenance mm -hmm. and all that cleanup, because I know that's a big part of your job mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. No, I got some fields that need some work. I got to do a little bit of um, tillage in a few spots and some harrowing and everything after after I'm done everything here and pick all my bales yet. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot to do. Um, hopefully, we're supposed to get a couple of days of rain here, so we'll see what happens. Um, I've probably got about 10 days of harvest left. Um, I should be able to knock off what's left in less than that, but problem with somebody like me is I'm the grain I'm the combine driver I'm the grain cart driver I'm the auger guy mm -hmm. and I'm the cook and I'm the everything because it's just me yeah so occasionally I do get some help uh, for some certain things but yeah so it takes me a bit longer than than most just because I have to do all the extra stuff and everything myself compared to a Bookkeeper. lot of the <laughs> maintenance mm -hmm. right <laughs> mechanic yeah everything yeah and so uh yeah I'm thinking hopefully in about 10 days I can be wrapped up and then it'll be fall field work, picking bales, all that stuff. And then maybe I'll try to get a couple days of sleep in there. <laughs> I'm getting tired. Uh, it's well, been a long go. You know, they have that old saying, uh, like a, a farmer's work is never done, right? No. A farmer's wife's work is never done, no. right? <laughs> and, and this is nothing compared to our ancestors. It started with horses and plows mm -hmm. and pulling stumps and like, you know, building, building their homesteads, digging their wells. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we have it so good. And yet, you know, I would say, you know, work workload comparison you know my my job or my work in comparison to a farmer you just can't compare that and i mean that because you guys are just all so hard working so yeah <laughs> you got to be to make it in this in this industry so. yeah so well thank you so much marty for having me out i have a feeling this will be it for this season because it yeah. looks like you know honestly i can feel there, there's fall in the air you yeah can actually there, feel there, it. there's fall in the air there's we're getting those cool nights now that cool mm -hmm. breeze uh, yeah, no, we're in Manitoba. We remember what those cold winters feel like. It's uh, it's not super far away, but uh, no, it's been good. All right. Well, thanks so much for having me. No problem, Tamara. Thanks for coming. Dr. Brenna and Three Graces Medispa has been inspiring love, confidence, and health and humanity since 2019. Dr. Brenna's skin therapists have the advanced knowledge required to revitalize and rejuvenate your skin. Radiofrequency, microneedles, chemical peels, and oxygen neo superfacials are just a couple of the treatments we offer. To learn more about Dr. Brenna and Three Graces Medispa, visit our website at threegraces.ca or call us at 204-572-5774 for a free consultation. Thank you to our show sponsors. 
Bankert Marketing, Dr. Brenna and Three Graces Medispa, Real Security Solutions, Right Side Equipment of Dauphin, Oil Depot of Dauphin, Roofs Furniture and Appliances of Dauphin, Tri Family Health Beauty and Fine Gifts of the Paw, Ramsey's Health and Fitness of Dauphin, Cloud Nine Canis Supplies, Fudd's Corner Store, and Hearts to Nature Fine Art Nature Photography. See you next week. I missed it. <laughs> I'm like, it was too slow. Dang it. That. Oh, you have that. to forget about the camera. You were just laughing, talking about standing in your field. I was standing.